Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. I got to tell you, today, we're going to have some fun. Um, Have you guys ever heard of this thing called fraud? Uh, Yeah, yeah, you probably have heard of fraud. Can you imagine if fraud were to happen at a much faster rate than it does now? Well, how much fun would that be? Okay, nobody is out there cheering and saying, yes, I want faster fraud. So how about we bring on my friend Attila. He has been a follower of the Payments Podium and the Payments Professor for a long time. So I'm gonna start off by first saying, thank you for that Attila. I appreciate your support and everything that you do. It's part of what keeps me going and wanting to make all these podcasts and make all of the videos as well. And Attila came to me and he said, uh, professor, would, would you like to talk about faster fraud? And I said, oh yeah, without a doubt. So I want to welcome to the payments podium, Attila, would you, and would you please introduce yourself for everybody out there and, and give us an idea of who you are? Sure. First of all, thank you for letting me uh, have a quick conversation on, uh, on your podcast. Uh, my name is Attila Chutak. I have been in banking since late 1997, uh, really, uh, predominantly treasury, whether that's implementation project management, product development, and product management for the last 15 years of that. Uh, and uh, maybe seven or eight years of that last 15 years focusing on faster payments, whether that's MDACH, ZAL, RTP, and the soon to be Fed now as, uh, as, 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 as it's coming around, given the timelines uh, that the Fed has put uh, in, in front of them. All right, and, and let me just clarify, when it comes to working with faster payments, you can say you've been there, you've done that. Like for example, same day ACH, you have for financial institutions put in place same day CH, so it works for consumers and businesses. You've put in place other products, like I know there's things like Zelle, uh, looking at Clearinghouse, uh, all of that, you've already worked, you've put in place those products, those services for financial institutions. Yeah, that, that is correct. I mean, uh, uh, with, with ACH, I've been involved uh, even uh, during my normal product management uh, uh, years at a top five financial institution. Uh, we rebranded the domestic ACH and then worked on international ACH and then immediately after that launched the uh, same day ACH, and then uh, I was engaged in conversations in the time when Zelle used to be known as Clear Exchange, uh, the brainchild of really a consortium of the top three banks. Uh, and then, as larger banks were trying to uh, uh, penetrate that uh, market, too, we, we had conversations as part of the bank that I worked with at the time. Uh, to become a member of this consortium and uh, continue developing uh, a clear exchange, uh, which ended up being rebranded and uh, renamed uh, in 2017 into Zelle, as we know it today. And then uh, I did launch uh, real-time payments as well at, um, at, a, at a top 25 financial institution. A lot of great time. There's a lot going on in the payments landscape. I mean, I, I say this all the time that uh, it's very exciting to be in payments today. Uh, I, I, I guess it would feel the same if I would have been around 47 years ago when Nacha was put together by a handful of Californian banks back in the day. Uh, uh, it, it's just not, I think everything is happening at significantly faster uh, uh, pace. Uh, uh, these, uh, the, these new payment rails, uh, and I'm going to call them rails because that's what really they are, whether that's RTP or FedNow. They are evolving and maturing as we speak. 
significantly faster than any other payment, uh, uh, legacy payment rail that we've had in the US. Well, Attila, I'm gonna go ahead and grab my crystal ball of payments and, and tell you a couple of things you just said that I, I gotta piggyback off of. One of them is it is truly an exciting time to be in payments. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. And I know a lot of the, my followers and listeners out there are people that are new to the industry. And they're wondering, what do I need to do? How do I improve? What do I need to learn? And I'm telling them, oh, you've gotten in at the greatest time of, of really payments because we are seeing the launch of new payment rails, multiple ones, whereas before it was a rarity. And you, know, and you have to go back to 30, 40 years for when ACH first came out. Something else you said that I got a feeling is going to blow up my inbox is that you have implemented these different services like Zelle and like RTP. And one of the things I get a lot of questions about is what do I need to do to start an RTP program? What should I be considering? What needs to be in place? So that might be a conversation we have in the future here at some point in time. And what we are going to discuss today, and I hope everybody's ready for that, though, is because of somebody who has implemented these, because of somebody who has worked with these, you and I have had a lot of discussions about the fraud that comes with it. So is that something that if somebody is implementing these programs, they need to be aware of that there's there's going to be fraud that comes along with it, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, uh, I mean I'm mean, i going to be brutally honest. Whether it's a legacy payment platform or uh, a new emerging payment platform that a bank uh, or a fintech uh, 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 implement or launches, you will have these rough mod, uh, 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 individual entities out there that are going to try to break your system. That, that's their job, if you will, unfortunately. I even hate to say that, but they are trying to be a step ahead of the fintech uh, and the financial sector. And banks, we you, you have to be worried about. I mean, you have to have a very robust fraud monitoring system. You have to have your appropriate risk controls in place. Whether you have an emerging payment already in production or you're thinking to going down that path. Uh, with your legacy payment platforms, every financial institution has your KM, uh, I mean, a KYC, AML, and OFAC processes in place. You're going to have to tie those down even further because those behave in a non-24-7, 365 environment. These legacy payment uh, platforms are, are, are necessary. I'm not saying that they are prone to fraud, but uh, fraud doesn't necessarily happen right after a bank closes. With emerging payments, fraud can happen anytime. Uh, uh, the, the network is on all the time, whether that's RTP or, uh, and I say can potentially happen. I'm, I want to emphasize that. Uh, whether that's RTP, FedNow, or even Zelle. Zelle is a payment channel, really, if you look at it. But as a bank, you have to be on your uh, uh, on your best behavior and have the appropriate tools uh, uh, and, and, and processes in place in order to to try to be ahead of whatever potential fraud happens or be as reactive to it as you possibly can as, as it's happening. You know, uh, uh, something else that is really in there, too, when you, you mentioned fraud, it's going to happen wherever money is involved is one of the things I've always said. It doesn't matter at the payment channel. And yes, these are people that it is their job. And I've said that to groups and they're like, no, no, no. Yes, yes, it is. And in our country and in other countries, there are people who just focus on committing fraud online. And that's all they do. And some of them actually go to offices and work together with others yeah. to be able to do that. That's the part that is like, you got to be kidding. And no, 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 that's that's actually for real. Now, 
I, I know when it comes to fraud too, in fact, I've, I've had uh, some people on before that have talked like Pam Rodriguez talked about risk controls, recently just did a session with uh, Nancy McKenzie that hasn't even gone live yet about friendly fraud. But can we start looking really at the, I don't know if it's new fraud, but let's look at the new emerging payments, the faster fraud, and what's actually happening there. What what are the things that you know maybe this was a surprise I didn't see it coming, or you better expect this type of fraud to happen within that channel. Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll bring it up. Uh, I'll bring up Zell because uh, uh, that's a new uh, uh, emerging payment channel that uh, have taken on on the country since 2017. Uh, uh, and, and really, Zelle, if, if, if you look at its uh, uh, basic standard level, uh, uh, I as a consumer don't need to use a bank branded Zelle. If let's say my bank doesn't have Zelle branded, I can still use Zelle as a platform to pay you $50 back for last night's dinner. Uh, uh, all I need to do, uh, uh, I need to register my profile on the Zelle platform, use my bank provided uh, DBA debit card, uh, 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 and then within 24 to 48 hours after I got approved, I can send you uh, that $50 electronically via uh, via Zelle. Now, the problem with that scenario, and if, if, if your financial institution is not Zelle enabled, you will get the funds, the funds are, is going to ride the debit card rail. What the problem that we are facing with this particular payment channel that a lot of banks didn't necessarily uh, uh, pay as much attention to it in the beginning uh, when it was as it was happening is that the, the the fraudster is out there and looking for ways to commit fraud. One one way is for these fraudsters to buy these bins of these debit card bins on the dark web, uh, where they practically have access to my debit card uh, uh, number, your debit card number. If it's get if it gets stolen that way. The froster takes that debit card number, registers a profile with the Zelle network, a different profile, attaches the debit card to it, he gets approved, he or she gets approved, uh, and then once that approval comes back, uh, uh, he or she moves the money out of my, my account within a span of an hour or even uh, less. So, And by the time I find out about that transaction uh, fraud happened on my account, it's too late, the money is gone. He moved around the country a couple of times, a couple of different banks. So well, uh, the, the problem that we steps right. It, it is is simple now, and I do want to say I'm a Zelle user. I, I've used Zelle many, many times. But you still use it on a regular basis. But uh, if I got this right, the way it happened is the fraudster is not going in through their bank account. They're not going in through their credit union or their bank website. They're actually going more to the app stores. And from the app stores, they're getting the Zelle app and they're downloading it. And then they're using what would be maybe compromised account numbers or, and debit card numbers, legitimate ones, ones that they purchase uh, from the legal dark web. They then register with the app and that, you know, that purchase compromised card information to put it on Zelle. Once they're approved, which there's an approval process, and Zelle's very good about a lot of their security controls, and once it's gone through that process, they then start pushing the funds out of that account, the, the funds for the number they, they purchased, right? They actually push that money out because Zelle is, and most of our faster payments programs are push, credit push only, 
which people tell me yep. there not be any fraud with that, but you're telling me, yes, you can, because if they've compromised the account number, maybe not the actual account itself on the website, but the account number through the app, they're able to still go in and push all that money out, right? That, that is correct. I mean, uh, 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 every DBA in the U.S. comes with a debit card, uh, and that debit card has a debit card number. And, and, and these fraudsters uh, illegitimately get access to that debit card number without you or I knowing about it. And, and, and that's one way of committing fraud, right? So that's not the only way to commit fraud. But in the beginning, when Zelle became... Uh, uh, when Zelle, uh, uh, Zelle was marketed after the rebranding exercise in 2017, we've seen uh, uh, a little bit of an uptick on fraud from this particular channel. Uh, uh, we also have to be worried about the account takeovers at a bank pro, uh, portal level uh, uh, type of fraud scenarios too. But what I was, what, 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 what my topic was that I started on talking about it's particularly that banks were not prepared because we didn't know it's a brand new rail. We learned since then, believe me, uh, that there are enough uh, 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 protocols and, and, and fraud monitoring tools put in place that when, 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 when a fraud happens and we see multiple times somebody pulling $50 within a minute, a hundred times, the bank is going to look at that pace of transactions pushing uh, out of the account and it's going to put a stop on it immediately. And it's going to potentially even follow the trace of that transaction where it goes. But what I was trying to get to that in the beginning, we didn't necessarily account for the, 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 the fraud environment happening from the point of uh, a fraudster buying legitimate debit card number on the illegitimate uh, dark web. I gotcha. So that was the surprise was the way they yep. went about coming up with it. And I got to say the fraudsters are very creative. So that was something that was, hey, this is new. We didn't really see this coming. And, and what made it really different for how you had to adapt. And, and I love hearing too, that you were able to adapt. You were able to figure out what they were doing. And then you were able to put controls in place because that that is really our key to almost every fraud scheme is once we figure out what's happening, how it's happening, then we can do something about it. So it almost goes back to an earlier statement. You said that you have to be reactive sometimes. You know, you'll be proactive when you know what's going to happen, but you're reactive until you know what is happening. That's correct. All right. Um, anything else to add to that particular type? Yeah. So, uh, uh Obviously, as, as more banks, uh, I mean, one of the reasons uh, why this fraud uh, uh, scenario, fraud use case has happened in the past, because banks have not launched uh, Zelle on their own uh, and not had, uh, didn't have as much visibility into what a user was doing behind the scenes using bank-provided uh, services like a DDA with a debit card. So what, what banks are doing now that banks are, launching and becoming part of the Zelle network. I think we are up to 700 plus banks now, uh, if not more, and there is more and more coming every single week that are on board. But what that allows, it allows to minimize the fraud that happens in the card space, in the debit card space, because what banks are doing are telling the user that, hey, since I am a Zelle enabled bank today, I want you to download my Zelle, my bank branded Zelle instead of using the, uh, the, 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 the Zelle application off the app store. 
and register through me so I can follow and monitor and, and, and uh, put in the appropriate risk controls behind so uh, I can stop the fraud and uh, poten not potentially, but even get in front of the fraudster and catch them before they even try to make a transaction, I mean, uh, uh, execute a fraudulent transaction. So by going through the bank app or the credit union supplied app, you actually give another layer, if not multiple layers of security that would be in place. So we, we're, we're, you're, you're saying and encouraging people that should be the route if you're a consumer wanting to use this or if you're a financial institution wanting to offer it, that should be the route that you have everybody take. Am I getting that right? No, that, that, is, that is perfectly correct, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I got to agree with that too. Cause I would add to it by going through the app, you have access to so many other features and services that you may need. Like I know I sometimes need to check to make sure, do I have enough money in this account to send the money out that I want to send, which also mm -hmm. brings up the question too, do you put controls in place because it is a credit push system. Some people have told me that, you know, well, I want to be able to send more than what they have in the account. And I, some people told me, no, we only allow for them to send what's in the account. And then there's also the question of limits, because you mentioned earlier, if you're seeing, you know, every minute $50 going out, that's a red flag. Well, what is your answer to that limit control, the uh, volume controls? What would people, should they be considering or looking at? So the network itself, uh, the Zelle network doesn't have an outgoing per transaction threshold in place. They are letting the banks put the appropriate risk controls in place uh, uh, in order to uh, minimize fraud, right? So if I'm a new user with a new bank and I'm using their, their bank branded Zelle platform because the, he, there's not enough historical data in between me and the bank that Whose bank, whose, whose bank platform I'm trying to use, the bank is going to restrict how much money it's going to allow me to send using this channel or Zelle. So uh, it could be potentially that in the beginning, I'm only going to be allowed to send $100 per transaction per day. Uh, or if I have a more lengthier relationship with the bank and I have trust that I built with that bank as a user, uh, I can send up to $2,000, $2,500 per transaction uh, uh, per day uh, using that rail. So, right, so banks are, uh, because you are bringing this transaction into the bank environment, you are able to add multiple layers of not just risk monitoring, fraud monitoring, but managing how much uh, uh, money a user can send into its network, uh, lowering the exposure the bank has too, as well as your losses that you could potentially get to. You, well, I gotta say, I personally experienced that one right there, the different tiers and the different amounts of what can be sent. And it was really interesting because it hit me at Christmas and it hit me also in um, with my son's mother. We, we've had cases with, you know, we share custody of my son and having to exchange funds back and forth. And she was away this uh, past, well, fall, and uh, she needed to send some money to me. And she went in, she's like, what's the best way to do it? She named a lot of the non-banking apps. And I was like, no, let's not use those. And then she said, well, how can I do it within the bank? And I said, let's do it via Zelle. And she's like, okay, well, uh, they won't let me, you know, her particular bank said, well, I went and I signed up, but I can't do it till tomorrow. I was like, that's fine, send it tomorrow. Then she goes in to send it tomorrow. She goes, okay, well, it won't let me send that much. 
And I was like, well, that's okay, send what you can. And she did, you know, ended up sending payments for like three days. And then a month goes around and she needed to send it again. And she's like, okay, they're still limiting it, you know, how much I can send. And then another month went around, she needed to send again, and she was able to finally do it all in one uh, time then. And, and for myself, same thing happened at Christmas. I actually found out I had a limit on uh, an account I've used for a couple of years on Zelle and uh, had to call up, you know, a niece and say, look, your Christmas is coming, just not today <laughs> because I've exceeded the yeah. limit. So I thought that was great. And I got to say, I wasn't sure if there was a limit with one of the financial institutions I was doing. So that brings up the question too, with uh, that particular, and I did this through several different of my accounts. With that particular one, I had no idea I had a limit till I hit it. So when it, yeah. and it gave me a message saying, you have met your limit for uh, the particular time period. So I want to dig a little deeper on setting the limits. Do you set a per transaction limit or just say, hey, you can have all your limit in a single transaction? Do you set a limit a per transaction and then an overall limit? And do you set it by time? I mean, what do you think is the most effective? Because like I said, in this case, I hit my overall limit and I hit it for a time period. I actually had to wait a long time period before I could have the ability to send my own credit money out too. So that was kind of weird to me. But uh, I, I want to hear your opinions on if we go a little deeper on setting those limits, what's it look like? So every bank is going to apply the best uh, uh, scenario, the best solution uh, for their client base. Uh, there are banks that apply on a day, uh, they, they apply daily limits. Uh, on the top of, they have a weekly limit. So uh, if, I'm a, uh, if I've been banking with the same bank for the last 10, 15 years, uh, and I have a, a lengthy relationship with my bank, they know historically that I'm credit worthy, I'm trustworthy. So they're gonna set up a weekly uh, uh, $5,000 uh, a threshold. Uh, and I can break that down every day, can send as much as, as I want, as long as it doesn't go above that weekly limit. Other banks are just applying on a transaction to transaction basis, uh, 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 based on the client type you are, based on the transaction, uh, transactional history that you have with that bank. So if you conducted a lot of electronic funds transfer with that bank, they trust you as user more than a user who just writes checks, uh, right? So because they know that you are more familiar with the regulatory space, uh, even if it's a lame, at a layman's term of who's responsible for the loss if you send the funds to somebody that was trying to sell you tickets for last night's Super Bowl uh, uh, event uh, versus uh, you know that you're sending the funds to a legitimate user. You know who the user is. So, Every bank is going to apply the best solution that works for their client base. And, uh, uh, and it's also based on the risk appetite that, that, that they have as a financial institution. But there, there has been so much. I mean, what I want to get away with the positive out of this is that everybody learns so much in such a short amount of time. Uh, and now we've uh, uh, every financial institution that's live on this uh, on this uh, on this new payment channel. Uh, it's able to have uh, 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 the appropriate uh, protocols in place and they can tweak it as transactions are happening in real time if necessary. So if they see that you have funds coming in uh, and then you already have funds going out uh, that you, 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 tr you set up as reoccurring transactions, even on Zelle, 
they're gonna uh, they're gonna potentially allow you to move money uh, uh, within that threshold or even beyond that if necessary. I mean, you 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 have to have this communication channel, ongoing communication channel with your bank in order to be able to uh, to have a productive uh, financial transaction uh, uh, within your within your bank and uh, uh, the the receiving uh, the receiving bank. So I, I hope that answered the questions. I know I uh, I went a little bit away from the original topic, but it 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 does. Every bank puts its own uh, controls in place. They have a a, a very complex uh, they have a very complex uh, algorithm in place that they monitor every bit of information coming in about you and every bit of information going out about you too. So historical data, uh, credit worthiness, and a number of other factors that banks are looking at. Okay, that is some really great information right there. And I, I hate to say this for anybody out there listening, but we're going to have to stop here because we are running out of time. This has been such great information. But I will go ahead and let you guys know this discussion is going to continue in part two. I am Kevin Olson. I'm the Payments Professor, and I look forward to having you guys hearing from you in your comments. And you know, if you're enjoying this topic, make sure you leave a comment or make sure that you email me, Kevin at PaymentsProfessor.com. If there's somebody you would like to have on the Payments Podium, if there's a video or a topic you'd like to have addressed either on YouTube or on the Payments Podium, again, make sure you leave comments, make sure that you send something to me, Kevin at PaymentsProfessor.com. But for now, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.